All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Tuesday, December 15th, 2020, and this makes it solder smoke. 227, crank it in, Ralph, crank it in. Rank, Ralph, crank it in, crank it in. Well, before we get started, I think you had a, a public service announcement, correct? I, I, I do. Have you, have you ever heard of a thing called a cannibal sandwich? I, I read about this on the internet. Yes, the state of Wisconsin has issued, this is for real, <laughs> has issued a warning about people who are eating this traditional dish at Christmas time called the cannibal sandwich, which is raw ground beef mixed with chopped onions, salt and pepper on rye bread. And they're saying, don't, <laughs> don't eat it. This so, is weird because, you know, you know, people from Wisconsin are very nice. You know, you wouldn't yes. associate them with cannibalism. Yes. I, I have neighbors from Wisconsin across the street. And, yes. and you know, cannibalism just doesn't seem like a, their <laughs> yeah. thing. Well, anyway, I, I felt compelled. I felt compelled to a greater solder smoke. I mean, don't take any unnecessary chances. Really, that's the bottom, <laughs> that's the bottom line. <laughs> Stay away from the cannibal sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, I'm done. All right, there you go. Thank you for that public service announcement, Pete Giuliano. All right, we, we're, we're moving into the, the travelogue portion of our program. Pete, this is where we traditionally talked about our travels, but of course, we're not doing much travel. But there are other things that are traveling, and I just want to make a note here. Mars, the planet Mars, is fading away. It's, uh, it's gone past opposition. I've mentioned a few times here on... We're, we're uh, no longer aligned. We're no longer as close to it as we were right. a month or so ago. Okay, so there comes a time, Mars takes two years to go around the sun. We take one year, of course, that's our definition of a year. But there, there comes a point every two years where we're both on the same side of the sun and relatively close, and, and close together. And that's the best time for viewing Mars. So that's what I've been doing. Since about late August, with my, my little six-inch Dobsonian-Newtonian uh, telescope, it's been a lot of fun, but the party is over because now Mars starts to, to slip away again, and it won't be close again for another, another two years. And it won't be as close as it was this time till about 2036. Wow. So that, that's a bit of a stretch there. But um, anyway, it's moving away, so it was good. I'm going to put some more... Uh, of my drawings of Mars up on the Solder Smoke uh, blog. I think I put one or two up there. I'll put some more um, just because I think it's kind of cool. And Ham Radio has always had this weird oh, yeah. connection with Mars. The Elser Mathis Cup awaits. Yeah. I, I, I put in the uh, dedication to the Solder Smoke book that perhaps Maria or Billy would be involved in or win someday the Elser Mathis Cup. Anyway, it's still out there. Now you're going to see a lot in the in the in the media about Jupiter and Saturn coming together close in the sky, and they are indeed close in the sky. This is no real big deal. I had the telescope out on Thanksgiving night, and I was able to put the telescope on Jupiter and then move it up a little bit and take a look at Saturn. They're pretty cool, I must say. Not as cool as Mars. When you're looking at Mars in opposition, you could see terrain features. You could see weather. You could see the polar caps, and not only that, every because it's it's got a significant, you know, it's got a rotation on its axis similar to ours. You're seeing a different scene every time you you look at it. It's not like when you look at the moon; it's going through the phases, but you're looking at the same side every day. Uh, it's different when you're looking at Mars, and so well. Anyways, Jupiter and Saturn are close by in the sky. Speaking of things astronomical, Pete Giuliano, the sun is back in a big way. Ooh, cycle sunspots. 25. 
Yeah. We've got sunspots. We'll, ta- we'll talk about that a little bit later, but sunspot cycle 25 is, uh, has kicked off in a big way and it's affecting uh, our, our ham radio band choices. We'll talk about that in a minute. Finally, a, a real bit of good news. We need some good news here in these yes. dark days of winter. The days are not quite as dark as they were just a few days ago. People don't realize this. I, I started following this closely when we lived in London, which is significantly further north than where we are right now. The days are significantly shorter in London. So for me, the important thing was the sunset time. When did the sunset? When did the darkness of the evening begin? And I noticed back there in London that right around 12 December, was the earliest sunset. Now it's not the it's not the shortest day, which usually comes around the twenty first of December. Yes. But the earliest sunset usually hits around twelfth of December, which was uh, what was important to me. Anyway, I, I checked, and we here in Washington D.C. are already past the earliest sunset. the The sunsets are getting later from now on, so we're already past the point. Brighter days ahead, my friend. Brighter days Longer. ahead. Longer, longer day, like yeah, real good. You know, um, one thing I want to I want to I want to do a book review. I got Ooh. a book review, Pete. I'm reading. I found this book, um, "Conquering the Electron," by Derek Chung and Eric Brock, and it's really good. It's sort of a history, not sort of a popular history, but with a lot of info that I hadn't picked up about mankind's efforts to control and utilize the electron, all things electronic, um, you know, power plants, um, uh, um, the electrical power system, tubes, computers, radio, telephone, Alexander Graham Bell, the whole bunch. It's really quite interesting. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I just didn't, hadn't really focused on. For example, the first tel- the first wires on poles in the United States I never really thought about where that started. Do you know? Do you know where that started? The first well, time we started. Wasn't it in Washington D.C. to to New York or someplace like that? Yeah, but it was it was for telegraph wires. Yes, and they, yes. they they only did it as sort of a temporary emergency measure. They never thought that the entire country would be covered with poles and wires. They were trying to get the the wire from Washington to Baltimore for the first demonstration of telegraph, and they were having trouble digging the ditches. So they said, okay, well, let's just, you know, Samuel F.B. Moore said, okay, let's try temporarily stick, stick some poles in the ground and hang them on the poles. Now here we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pole pigs are out there all over the place. But anyway, here's the quote that I wanted to share with you guys because I think it was very kind of appropriate for, for solder smoke. It kind of gets to our whole uh, solder smoke ethos here if we have one. Okay, um, In all his endeavors, Thomas Alva Edison always considered himself the absolute and final authority. Nikola Tesla, too, had a high opinion of himself, making a clash between the two egos inevitable. Referring to Edison's 99% perspiration motto, you remember that one, that's where Edison said invention is only 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. And Edison was famous for like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what would stick, like trying every material known to man as a filament for the incandescent bulb until they finally hit on carbon fibers and things like that. Well, 
Tesla replied to that, and this is, I, I really love this reply. Referring to Edison's 99% perspiration motto, Tesla once said, quote, if Edison could just think for a bit, then 99% of his efforts would be unnecessary. Ooh. Burn. Measure twice, cut once. Yes. Right? Had you ever think? think wait, if, think, design. Yes. Think, design, <laughs> yes. build. Think, design, build. That sequence that's, is very important. I think that's what Tesla was getting at. Have you ever thought of Tesla lived today? With what a mind think? like us in the technology, <laughs> where, where we'd be? Oh, wow. <laughs> Mind-blowing. You know, the, how much progress, you know, how much, just, just time scales. For example, I, I've been mentioning that I, I watched this YouTube video by Leo Sampson. He's the guy who's rebuilding. The boat guy. The boat, yeah. And, you know, he's always going on, and I, I like what he does. He's, it's really interesting. It's interesting to watch. The latest episode is really interesting because he talks about the diesel power plant that they're putting into uh, the boat but one thing he constantly talks about is how they're they're rebuilding a 100 year old boat and when you first hear it that sounds like wow it's a really old boat and when you look at the diagrams and the construction and everything else yeah that's a really old boat but pete i got radios in the shack that are 60 65 years old and i, I work on them all the time i still use them i got test gear around here that's that's that old. So we're we're reaching back into history. The other thing, when you think about aviation, you know the the Wright brothers made their first flight with the Wright Flyer. What 1903, something like that. And by 1969, we were landing on the moon. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Amazing progress. Sometimes when you read science fiction, you think, "Wow, man, we could never make that much progress that fast." But when you think about the difference between 1903 and 1969, <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. Anyway, that's our um, our our book review of the podcast. I hope you guys appreciated that. Remember, think, design, build in that right. order. Yes, not yes. build, noodly, think, noodly. Des- <laughs> I've been guilty of violating that that door yeah. many times myself. Hey. Uh, uh, no real travel for us. We remain hunkered down. I know you are too, hunkered down. And it is it is bad. It just will reinforce our message. There are There's a lot of COVID out there. My brother lives in San Diego. He just got it. Oh. Got it on Thanksgiving Day. You know, and it was, you know, one of these family How, events. How's he doing? He's, he's suffering. He's going to be okay. It looks like he's going to be okay. But it's it's nothing to fool with, you know. And so, and it hits home. We've had around here, um, just in the neighborhood around here, a number of cases. And we still get reports from the Dominican Republic of, of cases down there too. So, you know, you really have to take this very seriously. You don't, what I was thinking, you don't want to go through 10 months of lockdown and pandemic worried and then get sick in the last couple months. You know, the end is near, obviously. Uh, the vaccines are going into people's arms. Now is not the time to let up and, and get sick. I mean, I think that's what's happening with a lot of people. They're just getting tired and burned out. But we're going to have to stick with our motto here. And, you know, it sits, stay in the shack is the safest way to go. Anyway, I hope everybody will stay safe and be careful out there. Well, just a quick comment here. Something interesting showed up in my phone. All of a sudden, I got this little red dot up at the top of my phone. And I said, 
<laughs> What's this red dot? I clicked on it. They have a program here in California that let you know where there's been outbreaks around you. In other words, they can locate you with your GPS in your phone. Yeah, that's and good. they tell you, okay, this is this is what's around you. So, I mean, the technology's there. Just follow we have, it. We have a similar thing in, in Virginia. I have an app on my phone that it, it's based on Bluetooth. And if somebody is is tested positive they go to the system and if if they had the app on their phone the system then can determine by bluetooth range who they were within bluetooth range of and then those people are automatically informed now the problem of course is that a very small percentage of the population has this app on the phones i think this is the kind of stuff they used in south korea that was 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 very very helpful and it would be it would be really useful, but again, I mean, I get these weekly alerts. They say, "Yeah, you you haven't come close to anybody with COVID." Yeah, because probably only one half of one percent of the population has the app on their phones. But it could work, it, and it is interesting stuff. It sounds like California has done gone a little bit more um, in that in that direction. So that's, that's great. All right, Pete Giuliano, back to Ham Radio. What Ooh. you you have had a very active month. I've been watching with admiration all of your work. Tell us about what's on your bench and your tech adventures, Pete. Oh, yes. Well, first of uh, picking up on the Hermes light that we talked about in the last podcast. Yes. That, that is one nice SDR transceiver. I, I'm really enjoying operating it. And, and believe it or not, Bill, 17 meters. 17 meters has been very active. And I've made both FT8 and sideband contacts 5 watts. Really, and and it's nice to see that the band is active, and this ties back into the sunspot activity that that band is coming alive. So that's indeed good news. I'm hearing signals on 12 meters. I worked my first 12 meter single sideband contact ever, <laughs> five watts. So cool. I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing. So I mean, you get some pretty good gear, and and you get you know favorable sunspot conditions and a reasonable antenna. Now the other part is. You gotta have an antenna. <laughs> you can't have a piece of wire on the ground, <laughs> you know, and expect to make contact. So, Hermes Light, really nice piece of gear, and there's some very exciting things happening. There's a there's a real move towards more of these STR type radios, and uh, it's sort of surprising because uh, last count there's maybe 600, 700 of these, but I, I think in time it, it'll it'll move on. One of the problems I think, Bill, is you get started by a group of techie types, and they start talking techie. So someone who's not so technically inclined kind of gets put off by these, but they shouldn't be. And they, they need to, to address that, that factor. You know, not, not everybody is a software genius. And, you know, people would like to enjoy the, the attributes of, of the, the, the new technology. So you got to make it reasonable. So it says you do this, you do that, and you set this up and set that up. Yeah, I mean, this is related to something you shared with us, and that was the interview with the Heathkit engineer, the guy who had worked at Heathkit, and they they emphasized that their their efforts, their their manual development efforts, were as important to the company as the equipment development efforts, yeah. because they realized that they had to speak to people who were not tech experts and allow them to successfully yeah. build the gear. Once you crack that nut, it's open to everybody. So yes, indeed, that's that's indeed true. And and to that end, uh, there is a new SDR group formed, 
And of course, we in the last podcast we talk about the micro SDX and how I was personally disappointed in in what was happening with that. I've since heard from some other people, and in addition to uh, uh, what what comments Ryan Flowers made, uh, others contacted me and said, "By the way, I've seen the same thing you have." So, uh, I mean, there's still work to be done that that could be rescued, but someone has taken on. A slightly different approach and uh, there is a new group form form it's it's on io and it's called keith's at keith sdr k-e-i-t-h that's the guy's name sdr at groups io the group just started yesterday and they have a pretty slick design and and i i feel very comfortable that they're on the right track because essentially they're doing what charlie morris did with the teensy only this one is going to have the waterfall display and the spectrum. Love the waterfall. And, uh, yeah. This, this is the backpack SDR, backpack, right? Backpack SDR, yes. As a matter of fact, on uh, the misc.geek uh, site that Ryan Flowers maintains, he, he has some pictures and photographs and, and shows the approach. And essentially, they're taking a Teensy 4 using that device because it's a 600 megahertz microcontroller. So it's got a lot of compute power, it's got a lot of memory capability, and essentially they're building it around that. The other interesting fact, they're taking all commercial off-the-shelf hardware and assembling it. So it's not, you have to sit there and design circuit boards. They're using a lot of Hans uh, Summers boards, like for bandpass filters and low-pass filters. You just order the kits, they're, they're already built, essentially, you know, not built, you'd have to assemble them, but... But it's designed and tested and well known. They're also using uh, Hans sells a receiver. They're using not the uh, not the micro SDX, but a separate receiver. They're using that, integrating it, and uh, all the other parts and pieces uh, they're getting from China. So it's essentially, the, the the cost is relatively low. They're saying that you would figure uh, probably around two hundred dollars will get you this this you, you know the unit with the waterfall and everything. And there's quite an active group, so uh, it's Keith SDR at Groups IO is is the URL address, and so you can uh, follow up with them. They're certainly uh, kind of a uh, uh, something I think has some good chance of success because I've built two of the Charlie transceivers. This is ZL2 CTM, right? Yes, yes, and and the the ones that Charlie put out most recent vintage has lcds and that would be considered kind of a shortcoming but this group here is looking at the at a tft and you could have like a three and a half inch or seven inch hdmi (laughs) touch screen you know all that sort of stuff so and and this guy keith is from canada so it's it's being developed by one of our neighboring countries here and there's uh, quite a bit of interest and uh ryan goes ryan flowers goes into quite a bit of detail and you can see some pictures and they list all the component assemblies so it's just it's kind of like putting the lego blocks together to make this thing work i always like i always like ryan's um ryan's blog and he's got a very kind of humble down to earth admit my mistakes kind of approach that's really refreshing and you know he lives in the state of washington he, he does now or did in the past now now yeah, he does he, wow yeah he, i he remember lives, yeah you were exchanging emails with him about transportation situation up there yeah, yeah 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 okay there's a there's another um new discovery as, as a result uh the the gqrp uh, virtual convention 
was by subscription. But just recently, the GQRP Club has started a YouTube channel. And so all of the presentations that were made on the September the 5th virtual convention are now on that GQRP YouTube channel. Just do a search on GQRP. So everybody's presentation essentially was is a video. <laughs> so I, I, if you want to see Alan, Alan's... I've been I've been waiting for this because I, I you know I, I managed to get in front of my screen when you were speaking live to the GQRP convention. I didn't want to miss it, but then I've been waiting and I was really glad to see Tony's email saying that the YouTube channel is up yes. because all these presentations are there. And I I have Pete's. I told Tony I said, well I'm I'm biased. I'm going to put Pete's on the Solder Smoke blog, so it's there. You just need to click on the the image on the Solder Smoke blog, and then down below I have a link to all uh, to the GQRP YouTube channel where you could see all, all the presentations, including the one by our friend Alan Walke, W2AEW. He's got one there, yes, too. Yes, yes. Uh, all of the presentations there, which I think is excellent. Now, to, to that end, I have another public service announcement, and this is to Microsoft. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> let, let me tell you what, what's happened. I, I purposely set up the simple SSB, which is... The project that was featured uh, on the virtual convention and said if you want the code send me an email so this way i have some idea how much of an interest there was in this this was a, a clever ploy on my part if if you know you can't build a thing without the code and you got to contact me for the code so it's not just a matter of the information's out there so the last couple of days as a result people have discovered this uh, youtube video have been getting requests for the code and when you put all the files in, in the email, Microsoft strips out the hex files. <laughs> so <laughs> you put nine files in there. They put a hex on you, in other words. <laughs> That's right. And only five show up. And I'm saying, <laughs> you know, the guy says, hey, you didn't send all the files. And I said, yeah, I did. Pete, so, uh, Pete uh, and you wonder <laughs> why I stay in the analog discrete component. It, individual transistor world but why are they doing that so so thanks to dean dean said go download this uh zip uh encoder called seven up and you can zip the files so you can put them all as a package and send them the zip file but i mean someone must have figured out that if you you could do something in that hex file to screw up somebody's computer you know a virus could travel along because it's a, it's kind of an executable so the other thing is now Microsoft, and when it updated my computer, even though I sent out an email in one address, and you know this for a fact, it shows up as <laughs> a different address. I, I don't know how they're doing it. They're driving me nuts. Yes, stop yes, it, it is. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> stop it, Bill. This, Bill, stop it. <laughs> this doesn't this doesn't happen with my BitX seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> with the variable crystal oscillator. <laughs> stop it, Microsoft. Stop it. You're driving me nuts. Uh, so anyway, but uh, to that end, uh, one of the holes in the simple SSB is that it used the, the GQRP club filter, which is uh, a 9 megahertz filter, which is an excellent buy. So I have been endeavoring to find... Uh, an alternative substitute. Now, one of the substitutes is the NRAD Model 351, which can be purchased from NRAD. They were out of stock. They're now back in stock. But something I tripped over 
there's a uh, ham in the UK, and and his um, identifier on eBay is Spectrum Comms. It's Spectrum like the radio spectrum, C O M M S, and it's actually G four C F Y. Is is the guy that owns his company. He's selling a six pole nine megahertz filter for with shipping to the U.S. for thirty two dollars. Deal. So that that's that's a deal. That that is a real deal. Now the thing was interesting is he uh, his filter Z in and Z out is eight hundred ohms. So I said, man, that's kind of strange. So I uh, I did contact him. Uh, his name is Anthony. And I, I contacted G4CFY and I said, would you look at my simple SSB design and see if there's any issues with regard to the uh, use of the crystal filter? Because I'd like to recommend it for those who would like to build the unit that says, where am I going to get a filter? And so I said, but I did find it kind of interesting that your, your ZNZ out is 820 ohms. Now, if you'll recall, Wes, Filt Wes Hayward just wrote a seminal paper on a homebrew 9 megahertz crystal filter, and his Z in and Z out is 800 ohms, which typically you don't see. So I asked him about it. He says, oh, he said, my Z in and Z out is 200 ohms. He said, but I put a 4 to 1 transformer in there, and he says, if you rewire that, you can make it 50 ohms, so it can just... You know, you rewire the transformer so it just plugs in the circuit. So the, the matching transformers are included right on, on the, the filter board. The the NRED filter has no, it has, it's 200 ohms, but it has no matching transformers. Hmm. So, so it's really kind of cool. And I said, you know, I never thought of that. I, I learned something here. I never thought about taking the, the tip nominal. I mean, most of the ladder filters you see are around 200 ohms. So he just did a 4 to 1 to make it 800 ohms or you can do the 4 to 1 the other way and make it 50 ohms. So it's it's kind of kind of interesting. That's so, pretty cool. You know, I one of the one of the problems I had with you know I've been fooling around with 455kc filters, several of which you had sent to me, the the mechanical filters and stuff. But one of the one of the problems at 455kcs is it's hard to make transformers yeah. at that low frequency, you know. So that's that 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 again argues for a higher frequency IF one of the many reasons to do the higher IF yeah, uh, uh, I also want to share something with you, and it's amazing how you have all this information in your mind, but you don't really think about connecting the dots. Um, Peter O'Connell, VK2EMU, our friend Peter. Oh down man, in the guy who's who sent you yeah. sent us our call sign plaques, and yeah. he sent me the, the the CW key. What a guy! Yeah, so he listened to our last solder smoke podcast, and he said. You know, I have a solution to your problem. I had mentioned that long time ago I had built a uh, transceiver with an analog VFO, and it was a switched LO that you switched it between transmit and receive, and the lo circuit loading of the receiver mixer was different than the circuit loading of the transmit mixer. It was always sh being reflected back into the VFO. It was always shifting. It was 100 hertz off. I mean, you, you, you could you could either be 100 hertz off and receive or 100 hertz off. This, and is, this is part of the trauma that drove Pete to SI5351s. Yes, yes. You know what Peter said? Put a TIA amplifier in there. Yeah. It's termination insensitive. I said, right. yeah. <laughs> why not why not there so, you go. so that thank you peter so there's a trick there's a tip 
For someone that says I'm, I have an analog VFO and the circuit's loading it so it's shifting frequency on transmit and receive, put a Wes Hayward TIA amplifier and then it's termination insensitive. It doesn't matter. It'll always look like 50 ohms or whatever the design output of the of the VFO. So Bob's I your uncle. I'd share that. Yeah, I thought I'd share that with you. So there you go. Very it. good. So anyway, um, spending a little time on cleaning up some things in the shack. I, I'm on a quest for a good soldering iron. I have no less than about 10 soldering irons and they're all crap. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you pay for them. They work for a while and then they die. And and it's the elements or it's the, the heating or what have you. And I, I mean, I, I turn the heat off when it's not in use and I just don't understand. So I was repairing. I got two of the 10 working <laughs> back again. So I mean... You sit there in the bench and say, it's not that complicated. <laughs> I know. I, I have this um, Xtronics 4000 series uh, solder station that was recommended by uh, the um, Chat with the Designers guys over at NJQRP. Uh, this was, you know, several, five, six, seven years ago, and I got it. And I've had similar kind of problems with it that, you know, the 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 iron will burn out or it's so flimsy in construction that the iron will just fall apart and i've been luckily able to source sort of replacement irons on the internet but sometimes they arrive and they look similar but the pin pins are different so i have to go in and rewire the soldering iron and the temperature sensor and the heating element and all that. It's a bit of a pain. The one thing I do like about this station is that it comes not only with the iron, but it's got a hot air oh, uh, yeah. dispenser surface too, yeah. which is really useful for surface mount. It's also useful for something as simple as shrinking heat shrink tubing. I just turn that thing on. I put a heat piece of heat shrink tubing over the, the joint, hit it with some hot air, and it's all sealed up, and so yeah. that's that's kind of nice. But I, I I feel your pain, Pete. Yeah, we need something solid, dependable. Well, well you get you get driven. Like I I spent eighty nine dollars for this soldering iron that lasted no longer than the one I paid nineteen dollars for. So I did the math. I said I could buy four <laughs> nineteen dollar soldering irons, and it lasts. Four times as long as the one for 89. <laughs> Will somebody communicate with the Chinese manufacturers and identify this need? I am sure that they can step up and come up with something that'll last, something that's durable, something that meets the needs without a whole lot of unnecessary bells and whistles. That would be yeah. great. Well, interestingly enough, Jane Co. Electronics up in the Bay Area, I, I buy a lot of stuff from them. They sent me a little note that says, hey, get this soldering iron for Christmas. I wrote the, the president of the company and I said, if you want to do something, do exactly what you said. I said, find a manufacturer over there. I said, I wouldn't mind paying $89, $100 for, for something that's going to last more than six months. And just say you could call it a soldering iron for the fat finger syndrome. Yeah, FFS. <laughs> There you go. Well, that's that's what's on my bench, and you, you know this. We got only what sixteen days left in this year. That's right. End yeah. Of the year so sense. not not too much time. I didn't. Uh, I got to confess, I did not build another transceiver. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're we're at the fifty mark. We stayed at fifty. Yeah, we're fifty one. Fifty one. Okay. All right. Fifty one. Well, it's respectable. We're gonna round out the year with fifty one. Pete, you've been, and I know I, I see a lot of the email. You've been involved in a lot of coaching of builders out there, both of SDR rigs and 
and analog rigs. And that must be that must be rewarding. I mean, it must be it must be nice. I mean, I know sometimes it gets frustrating because some guys just want want you to come come to their house and build a rig for them. Yeah. But but yeah. most most people are not like that, and they're just generally looking for some some guidance or inspiration. And you're real good at doling that out. Yeah, you, you can spend a lot of time doing it. And the, the thing that's really important, though, Bill, is I, this didn't fall into my lap. I had to, <laughs> I had to search the internet. I had to do some reading. I had to, you know, do research on this stuff. So, why do people not like to do that? I know, I know, I know. But anyway, but most of them, most most folks, I, some of the questions that, that come at you are really good and indicates that there are some really kind of talented and dedicated home brewers out there which is is a very very encouraging oh yeah sign so and they're they're lucky to have you as as their as their online coach there pete and i really like the gqrp talk you guys should should listen to that it's up on the solder smoke blog pete did a really wonderful talk about the uh, architecture of ssb rigs and how to build an ssb transceiver great great stuff pete you you've, you've commented to me about the the, the very old and clunky rigs that you see up behind me on my workbench, you'll notice the Lafayette HA600A yes. has returned to the bench. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a very good okay. thing. I'll tell you guys about it. Uh, this, this you'll recall. Oh, wait, is, Shameless Commerce. Oh, the Shameless Commerce yeah. Division. You still got time before Christmas. We still have time before Christmas. Yes, when you're buying all those expensive gifts through Jeff Bezos' Amazon.com, don't forget the Solder Smoke uh, blog or the Solder Smoke community. Up in the upper right-hand corner of our blog, you can begin your search for that Lamborghini that you're buying for your wife for Christmas or that you know $8,000 spectrum analyzer that you really need to finish the QRP rig, the Michigan Mighty Might that you heard about here on Solder Smoke. Buy these things through the Solder Smoke uh, blog, and uh, Jeff Bezos will then send us uh, some money. It doesn't come from you. It comes from him. So this is a good way to, to kind of contribute and help the Solder Smoke podcast painlessly painlessly and we do we put these things to good use because we've got to buy a lot of parts and stuff you know it's soldering irons soldering irons <laughs> compressed air yeah <laughs> phono jacks these are some of the things i recently bought more solder <laughs> gray paint for your lafayette ha 600 day all these things cost money and, and cha-ching that that uh, that effort there on the um on the the solder smoke um uh, amazon page in the upper right hand corner of the blog it definitely helps out. We also have a Patreon page. If any of you guys want to become patrons, it's up there. Just click on the Patreon page. You'll you'll see how easy that is. But we appreciate the support from from everybody. We realize this could be a tough Christmas for for a lot of people. Yes. So if you're in, in any way suffering any kind of uh, difficulty, please don't don't spend any of your money on us. But if you can, it'd be it'd be good, especially if it doesn't cost you any money. And, and Bezos sends us the money. So uh, anyway, thanks for that. And thanks for reminding me, Pete. Now, back to this wonderful receiver, the Lafayette HA600. jeweled movement. Jeweled movements, WJM and WJM with jeweled movements. Um, anyway, I picked this thing up uh, from a, a fella out in the Shenandoah Valley uh, who, who gave it to me around early October. I brought it home, started cleaning it up, 
it was he told me that it was owned by the father of a friend of his who was a shortwave listener. So it wasn't really owned by a ham. It was owned by a guy out there in the Shenandoah Valley who was a shortwave listener. And, you know, it looked in pretty good shape. I opened it up. I mean, the outer, outer cabinet was rough. It looked like water had accumulated on it, and there was some rust on the outer cabinet. I opened it up. The circuitry inside looked almost pristine. I blew some dust off. And at first, everything seemed to be working fine. Um, you know, when you, when you get a rig like this, it hasn't been used in many, many years and, and was built, you know, 60, 50 or 60 years ago. I mean, I got mine for Christmas, December 1972. That's when I got my original Lafayette HA 600A. Um, but, um, and then I started listening to it more carefully. The shortwave broadcast on AM sounded great. Uh, SSB, and not so much. And this was really this really created uh, uh, an interesting problem for me. Why does the SSB sound? I guess the best technical term is funky. It just sounded bad. It didn't sound like normal SSB. Now, when I was uh, a fourteen-year-old kid, this was the only receiver I've ever I'd ever had. I probably didn't even notice it. But when I was comparing it to the SSB that I heard out of my Bidex transceivers, out of my Drake 2B, out of other rigs, it just something didn't quite sound right. And I kind of isolated the problem to the product detector. And because I knew that I could use the AM detector, just the diode detector in there, with an external uh, BFO putting 455 KC energy into the IF chain, there the uh, SSB sounded great. So the, the only thing that was really different here was, well, my use of the external uh, BFO. I quickly determined that was not the problem because if I use the internal BFO, it sounded similarly great when I used the AM detector. So the only stage, and this is sort of the troubleshooting procedure that you can go through, the only stage that was used when the problem was present that was not used when the problem was absent was the product detector stage. They used a very simple product detector, just one BJT transistor with the BFO signal going in to the base and the signal, the IF signal at 455KC going in to the emitter. And of course, mixing should occur under these circumstances, but it sounded terrible. The other thing I noticed was on my particular receiver, this stage that they had built around a BJT transistor was completely unpowered. There was obviously a terminal where 12 volts or 9 volts should have gone, but there was no connection to the function switch, and it didn't look like a connection had ever been there. Now, it did detect, and you could hear SSB, but like I said, it just sounded, sounded bad. I started doing what you just mentioned, Googling, research. Because I started looking for articles about receivers from around the time that this thing came out. It doesn't do any good to find receiver articles from now because they're all focused on high-end stuff without simple problems like this. And it doesn't make sense to go back to 1946 either. I finally found an article from the mid-70s by Sherwood, Robert Sherwood, right? The Receiver Authority. And it was, the article was entitled something like, uh, you know, Problems with Contemporary Receivers. I have a link to it on the blog. And I started going through this thing, and all of a sudden I came to the paragraph where he was talking about product detectors. And he said that 
to test to see if your product detector is working properly, the thing to do is disconnect the BFO from the product detector. And when you do disconnect the BFO from the product detector, you should hear nothing from your loudspeaker or headphone. Nothing should make it through. In other words, that, that should be it, which is, which is right, correct? Well, when I did that, sure enough, strong or even moderately strong signals were coming through. So, and I was hearing like, uh, you know, Donald Duck chatter, you know, but I was, I was hearing something. So I realized that what was going on here was, and this is what Sherwood said, you're, I was getting a mixture of both envelope detection and product detection. So it was almost as if the Donald Duck chatter as a result of the envelope detection was being superimposed mm. on the clean SSB that was coming through the product detector. So this was an interesting problem, and I started thinking about ways to address it. Um, and I went back to the the product detector balance modulator circuit that I had used in my original double sideband transmitter, and that was it is very similar to the circuit that Farhan used in the BitX20 and in subsequent BitX rigs. This is two diodes and a single trifiller uh, transformer, and I I put. I built a couple of these circuits on little little PC boards, I guess the size of maybe two thumbs, and then I would put them in there and see how they worked out. They improved things, but then I would notice other problems. One of the other problems was port isolation. Not only do you want the product detector not to engage also in envelope detection, but you also want good port isolation. And what we mean by this is that the BFO signal going into one port should not be making its way back out through the other two ports. IF, the right. IF port. That's a real problem in this receiver because when I did get it working right, I could see that the BFO signal was working its way back into the IF input and it was messing up the S meter. The S meter was showing like S3 at all times. The reason it was doing that was because this signal from the BFO was there. <laughs> yeah. This signal from the BFO was also activating automatic gain control, which is in this receiver also. So that had to go, and I had to start looking around for a better circuit. And that's what got me back to the diode ring. All right, The diode ring has good port isolation and can be counted on not to allow for the kind of envelope detection that I was experiencing with the original circuit. This was really, really cool because it caused me to really think about how the diode ring mixer operates and how it produces the sum and difference frequencies. And I, I put something about this up on the, the blog if you guys want to take a look. But I, I came to the conclusion that a diode ring is probably a bad name for it. I'd call it cross diode detector. Sometimes you'll see it, the, the circuit. It's the same circuit, but it's built, it's drawn with two diodes crossed. And this results, and it's it's really cool to think about it, this causes these four diodes to take the input signal and multiply them by positive one and negative one. And that is extreme nonlinearity, right? And when you have nonlinearity, you have sum and difference frequencies, and Bob is your uncle. And so I, I put this thing in there. At first, I noticed that there was a, a little bit of a problem because if I got really strong signals going into this product detector, distortion. 
you'd get distortion and you would yeah. get some envelope detection. You because the thing is you don't want you want the on, only you want the diodes being turned on and off only by the BFO voltage. You only want the BFO voltage reaching the 0.6 or 0.7 volts to turn these diodes on. If the signal, if the IF signal is also reaching 0.6 and 0.7, then you're going to get the kind of bleed through that was causing me trouble. And I did a real simple solution. I put a little 150 ohm pot at the input to the to the to the product detector. That way, I could look at it and crank down the amount, the, the voltage from the IF chain going into the product detector to the point where this kind of uh, envelope bleed through didn't occur anymore. The thing sounds really, really great now, and I, I, I really, I like it. I'm my only. One of the things I want to do to, to kind of bring the, this receiver up into the more more into the modern age because it's got the standard band set band spread you know so you set the band set and then you go to band spread but if you're off just a little bit on the band set your your frequency you're way off <laughs> way off right now the solution to this is one of these little Sanjian uh, yeah. frequency counter boards so I've got a number of them kind of on the way from from China. And I'm going to put one of these things up. And, and here, it doesn't matter where you have the band set. It's always going to give you the readout of what frequency the oscillator is putting out. So this has been a, been a really great project. Um, it's caused me also to kind of study how these two diode, the simpler uh, product detector balance modulator circuits work with just two diodes. And there's many different versions of it. So I haven't quite finished and I haven't quite figured it out, but I, I do kind of study this stuff. I'm writing up a blog post. One of the interesting things is how the famous Polyakov harmonic or subharmonic detector works and how that kind of compares to the way other two diode circuits work. So I'm I'm looking at this. One other thing, Pete, that I think you'll you'll appreciate this. One of the other problems I had with this receiver was that there was a scratchy spot on the main tuning variable capacitor. In other words, I'd be tuning the main tuning capacitor across the band, and right in the seven megahertz range, it would start. I could tell that the VFO was dropping out because there was some sort of short between the rotor the and the stator on the plates. They're very close. So if one of them is just a little bit off and it touches, it'll shut down the VFO with a real scratch, and then out, then nothing, then you move it a little bit, and then it comes back. Really annoying, really annoying. Now, I did not want to pull this variable capacitor out of this receiver. This would be a horrendous disassembly, right? And But... The, the, cap, the capacitor is, is physically situated in a way that it's hard to see what's going on in there. So the first thing I did is I hit it with a lot of deoxid and then dried it out, thinking that that might take care of the problem. It didn't. Then I got some compressed air, blew a lot of compressed air through there, through all the, the rotors and the stators. That didn't help. It was still, it was still scratching. And then I was sitting there thinking about it. Again, thinking about it helps. I got a, a paintbrush with fine threads on the paintbrush. And I opened it up to around the point where it was causing trouble. And I just forced the paintbrush. I mean, not to the point where it would bend any of the, the rotors. But I just pushed it through there. So I was sweeping in and out, sweeping in and out. And there just must have been a little piece of conductive 
material in there, grit or uh, something. A burr, a burr on the plate. Whatever, it was ever there. But I managed to take it out with, with the paintbrush. And so now there's not this problem anymore. That was kind of a very, a very satisfying uh, fix. But I, I liked working on it. So diode, wing, diode ring wins the day. And if you want to take a look at how diode rings work, Alan Wolke's got some great videos. I've got links to them on the blog. But I also managed to, to take a look at, actually see on my oscilloscope, the multiplication by one and negative one, and which is really cool. Because then you can see it. You can actually see the waveform, and you can see in the waveform the, the sum frequency and the difference frequency. And this is how, how mixers do their, their magic. So the HA600, a lot of fun. I like it a lot. It sounds good on SSB now. Bit X17. I've got to tell you about the Bit X17. That's the other thing on my bench. Because as you said, 17 meters is back. It's coming back. And so this caused me to look at my Bit X17 rig, which has been sadly sitting idle here for a couple of years. And this, Pete, is also a tie-in to your new and amazing world of SDR. I have uh, NA5B, Mehmet, is about seven miles east of me in Washington, D.C., and he runs a fantastic uh, web SDR setup and using uh, regular web SDR and Kiwi SDR also. He has Kiwi SDR for 17 meters. And so what I've been doing, I just sort of started doing this, but I found it was really useful. It was an interesting mix of the two technologies. I would log on to his Kiwi SDR, put it on 17 meters, and take a look at the band. I could tell whether he was seeing a lot of signals, a few signals, where he was seeing. And then, and then I would switch over to my, my transceiver and see how mine would compare. His, his SDR uh, receivers are very sensitive, very selective. They're really good receivers. In most cases, I could also see and hear what he was seeing and hear. I, I could hear what he was seeing and hearing. Some cases not because my, my antenna on 17 is an 80-meter dipole, so there's a lot of lobes and nulls. So sometimes he'd have a real strong signal, and I wouldn't hear them at all, and I'd realize that station is in one of the nulls. But uh, looking at his, his panoramic display, the waterfall, made me realize or remember that when I built this BIDX-17, I missed the bottom 10 KCs of the phone band. So from 18110 to 18120, I just didn't have the coverage because I'm using a variable crystal oscillator. Can you imagine? This is like ancient technology. I've got two crystals in there at around 23 megahertz, and I have a switch on the front panel, high and low. Low would only take me down to about 18120, not down to 18110. So I started thinking about this, and I started looking at Mehmet's waterfall, and I would see guys having happy QSOs down there in the range that I could not reach with my crystal. And I started thinking, hey, radio guy, you should be able to fix this, right? What would it take? So I pulled out the schematic. Again, this gets back to Tesla's remark about thinking. Your, your comment about noodling, which is very apropos here. And I started looking at that circuit thinking, how could I do this? Because I don't want to move both crystals down because the upper crystal gets me to the top portion of the band just fine. My problem is at the bottom portion of the band. My problem is with that lower crystal. And I want to 
reduce the frequency of oscillation of the oscillator only about 10 kilohertz to get this bottom portion of the phone band. If I overshoot a little bit, that's okay too, but I want to lower it a little bit. So I started looking at it and I realized in my VXO circuit, most of the lowering was being done by this one toroidal transformer or toroidal coil rather that I have in the circuit. So I said, there's got to be a way that I could just increase the inductance that, that, that kicks in when I switch to that lower crystal. I looked at the value of the inductor that I put in there and it was 3.5 microhenries. So I started saying, all right, how can I find a small inductor in my junk box that I could put between the crystal and this toroid so that when I throw the switch to lower, that crystal gets an additional one microhenry of inductance. And let's just see how it works. Eyeball it, I'm thinking it should work. So I, I go into, I, f I find in the junk box a one microhenry coil. One of these little coils, looks like a resistor, but it's actually a coil. I go into the rig and I lift one leg of the crystal holder off of the relay that controls all this. And I put between the crystal and the relay connection the additional one microhenry. I have a picture of this on the blog. If you guys are not following me, just take a look on the blog. You'll see the picture. I let the let the, the solder cool for a couple minutes, fired the thing up, and now when I hit that switch to the lower position, Bob is my uncle and I get the entire phone band. So I take great pleasure in talking to people using this lower portion of the phone band. So it's, it's, that's been great fun. Pete, and this is the kind of thing that's possible when you're using really simple simple technology. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, I find it very satisfying. It's not, not everybody's cup of tea. Some people will say, yeah, I could have done that with a line of code or I could have just changed the parameters on the SI5351. True. And I mean, and, and that's, that's, that's great if that's, if that's what you're, what you're into. Uh, but, but I, I kind of liked the physical going in there and putting an additional one micro Henry in there so I could rubber that, that crystal down by an additional 10 KCs. Good stuff. But by, by, by the way, while you're looking at that SDR, something that I've observed, you'll see not a lot of band activity in single sideband, but FT8, they're packed. I mean, there's a lot of signals on there. So I'm saying if there's a lot of signals on FT8, the band is open. <laughs> it's yeah. just pe people are not getting on because they may not hear other sideband stations. But I mean... I always, I always look at the FT8. If there's a lot of FT8 activity, that tells me the band is open. Good, good, good point. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to, we need to check for this stuff. Somebody needs to get the ball rolling and call CQ. Yeah. Hey, speaking of band openings, you know, all this 17 stuff has got me thinking about my Moxon antenna. Oh. I need a directional antenna up there. I need something I could spin around. And Pete, you and I have talked about this, and I think I talked about it on the podcast before. For me, the ideal directional antenna would be a two element wire beam sort of like a moxon maybe a hex beam the two bands that i'm most interested in are 20 and 17 20 because it's open more often there's a lot of activity there 17 because well it's 17 we love 17 meters no contests great propagation going to be good during the sunspot cycle peaks the problem though is can you nest nest a 17 meter antenna inside a 20 meter antenna on a moxon now we've talked about this before i've seen 
conflicting reports. I've seen guys say, you can't do it. They're too close in frequency. There'll be too much interference, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to work. And for a long time, I accepted that. But then I started thinking, wait a second. How come you can successfully nest a 17-meter antenna inside a 20-meter antenna on a hex beam, but you somehow can't do it on a moxon? You know, the moxon is rectangular. It's got four supports. The hex beam is hex, and it's got six supports. But if you can nest them successfully on a hex beam, you should be able to nest them successfully on, on a moxon, right? And, I mean, I, I feel comfortable building my own moxon. Building a hex beam is a lot, you know, it's significantly more complicated. And I'm not that big into mechanical construction. I found one design out there from a guy, Delta Kilo 7 Zulu Bravo. If anybody's interested, just Google him. He has a good design for a 17, 20, 17 and 20 hex beam, uh, 17 and 20 moxon, rather. So I, I want to. I want to know if anybody has any experience with this. Has anybody successfully nested these two bands on a moxon? I know it's been done on the hex beam, but can you do it on a moxon? Because I, I would like to if you could. Pete, my other alternative is just to go out and buy a 17 and 20 meter hex beam. For, you know, they're selling like four or 500 bucks. You could get one. I'd put it up there. But this goes against the ethos of my station. It seems just wrong to take my... Bidex 17, which you could build for, what, five bucks? And hook it up to a commercially made $500 uh, antenna. I've never, I don't think I've ever bought an antenna in my life. But now I find myself thinking, maybe it's maybe it's time for me to do that. You know, I, I bet you it would hold together better. The reason I'm in this jam is because a winter storm knocked down my, my Moxon a couple years ago. But I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I well, you know, I was thinking there's a guy selling um, a either a 20 meter or 17 meter moxon, but it's but it's not wire; it's metal, yeah. so it's very durable. And and you might want to take a look at the he he advertised just do a Google search on moxon antennas, and you might want to poke him a bit and just ask him why can't you have Two antennas, just just to get a piece of. I'm just yeah. referring to as a piece of data. I mean, he he looks like it's well constructed. I mean, it's it's about four hundred bucks, but it's all metal. Wow, I'll which, take a look. Which That's an idea. You know the horizontal. Yeah, <laughs> you're always talking about the horizontal moxon. Yeah, this is horizontal because it's metal. <laughs> it's w not, without the without the uh, uh, blown yeah, out umbrella yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. so it might be just. An email just say, hey, have you looked at coming up to the tool bank? Because he said, okay, if you want 17, make it this dimension. You want 20, make it this. So he's never talked about it being both. So it might be good to see if he's got any data on that. But, I'll check it out. But, but but I think, you know, the hex bean offers, it's a little bigger footprint than than the Moxon. I mean, just the way it, it's yeah. shaped. It might have a lower turning radius, though. It might actually be yeah. not as wide. It's just that physically looks bigger, but it, yeah. but you're right. If it works there, why won't it work there? You know what's what's the difference? These are the questions that 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 befuddle us, Pete. Yeah. We look. We turn to the Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards to for an answer. Yeah. Hey, speaking of searching for an answer, I got RFI problems here. Oh. Never had them before. When I'm listening to my HA600 happily. I suddenly get, hold on, let me turn, let me hold on, turn it on here for you. I made a recording of it 
to play for. Hold on. Go back here. You have any new neighbors? Uh, I it might be a neighbor, but I'll first before I kind of prejudice everybody, just listen to what it is. It shows up. The only place I hear it is on and around 40 meters. And it shows up every 50 to 60 kilohertz. The rest of the band is fine. The noise level is the same. But as I tune through the band, every 50 or 60 kilohertz, this horrendous noise comes in at almost like S9 level. So, I mean, as long as I'm not operating on those particular points, it's okay. But let me, I'll tell you, I made a recording. I'll, I'll play it so you guys can see what it sounds like. And I'm sure somebody's gonna recognize this. If you do recognize it, please tell me what it is. Here we go. Hold on. Across the band, you'll hear it. Wait a second, there we go. I just want you guys to hear what this RFI sounds like. I'm on 40 meters Saturday morning. You tune across the band, you'll hear it. It appears every about every 50 or 60 uh, kilohertz. There you go. <laughs> All right, there you go. That's what it sounds like. Uh, hey, Ideas. Hey, Bill, what do you think, Pete? You you have that SDR site near you? Are yeah, you, are he doesn't you... see it. On the, I don't think he sees it on the SDR site down in Washington. No, it's, so it's, so it's got to be it's got to be pretty local. I think it's pretty local. Yeah, and so I you know that... our houses are relatively close by here, so it could be something in the neighbor's house. I don't think it's anything in in my house. I've gone around and checked to make sure there's nothing new been plugged in. To unplug anything that was new and it's still there so it's it's in the neighborhood but i'm just wondering it sounds to me like a fairly common problem so please let me know if you've if you've heard this kind of thing before the other thing when the foot of snow that you're going to get <laughs> disappears <laughs> get on your bicycle and see if you can listen to it uh, with a radio in your neighborhood. In other Pete, words, they, just, Pete, they already think I'm nuts. I start riding around with headphones on and a radio. They're gonna call. They're gonna call the, the, okay, the folks okay. in the van. You know. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. That gets us Pete the solder smoke mailbag. Yes. We got a lot of good mail here this month. Dean KK4DAS now has a furlough forty that is a furlough forty and twenty. It's really remarkable. Dean has made amazing progress. I remember last winter when I was mailing him a crystal for 3.579 so he could make his first Michigan Mighty Might. Now the guy has built a 40-meter SSB transceiver, and he successfully turned it into a, a dual-band rig for 40 and 20 transceive. Really nice. And it's still all alfresco out on a big board with all kinds of nice interconnects. He had, you know, he had a really solid, he has a really solid uh, IT background. So that helps him with the, the SI5351 and the Arduinos. But you have coached him through the whole analog uh, amplifier build situation. And man, it, it's it's really impressive to see his, his rigs. SSTV. I, I <laughs> that was that was funny because he sent an email to both of us saying i hear this interference on on this frequency what the heck is this and you and i immediately heard sstv 
went back and told him how to get the, the software. Now he's decoding SSTV. And at first he was like, oh, I don't know about this. I said, hey, this is some pretty creative stuff there. It's colorful pictures. It's, yeah. it's nice. It, it's much better than 5.9 Ohio, 5.9 Ohio. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I suspect Dean is going to be on the SSTV band soon with, uh, with, with one of his rigs. Speaking of nice rigs, we got a good email from Adam N0, Zulu India Bravo, who built a homebrew DC transceiver. Really nice. Nice. That was that was beautiful. We got you mentioned Tony G4WIF sending us the videos from GQRP. Tony also notes that there've been so there are in on the internet so few videos of the many many speeches given by uh, GQRP founder George Dobbs, Reverend George Dobbs. And he's right. Uh, George made so many of these speeches, but apparently only one of them at an ARCI convention was was recorded, which is a real treasure. We have we've got the, we've had that up on the blog uh, several times. But if anybody knows of other videos of George Dobbs speaking, and he was a very uh, very wonderful speaker, made a lot of a lot of public appearances in, on behalf of GQRP and the QRP movement. Please let us know. I, I, I always sort of chuckle. In my mind, George Dobbs is a ham's ham who, by the way, incidentally, on Sundays is a minister. <laughs> yeah, but there was, a, there, was, there was kind of a, uh, there was always a spiritual element to what George yeah, talked yeah, about. I remember yeah. he was the one who talked about wabi-sabi. And I mentioned that to my wife, who's a, a designer, and she said, wow, I heard about that. He's talking about that with ham radio? Yeah. Very cool. He would talk about, you know, this. this, this I said he was like our spiritual leader. Speaking of uh, spiritual leaders, uh, Grayson, KJ7UM, the author of Hollow State Design, the, the, the expert on all things Thermotron. Uh, you, through you, we found an article from like 1952 or 1956 about, yikes, radioactivity in tube-type regulator tubes, specifically OA2s. Apparently, they were putting radioactive nickel and cobalt into these tubes <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and uh, I, I felt obligated to point this out to the solder smoke community. Now, when I, when I put this thing up, I, I actually put in the blog post, I know this blog post is going to irritate many of you who don't like to hear about this kind of thing. I am going to get angry emails from guys who tell me they've been sitting next to or on top of OA tubes for the last 50 years with no ill effects. I am also going to get emails from guys who sarcastically say, well, if you don't eat the OA2 tubes, you'll probably be okay. I put that there. I put the article with quotes from the Naval Research Lab up there. And down in the comment, we got a guy saying, well, if you don't eat the things, you'll probably be okay. <laughs> okay, good. Gotcha. Good, yeah. Grayson points out that he is now collecting OA2 tubes for a, a nefarious purpose that I feel reluctant to mention here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's but, building something else. Yeah. But, but by the way, it's interesting. You look at all the transceivers in, in the vintage um, 1960, 1970, before they shifted to solid state, they got an OA2 in there, except one transceiver has no voltage regulator in it. KWM2. Really? There is not a voltage regulator in the KWM2. As a matter of fact, one of the fixes 
that they suggest you do is you get a 150 volt Zener diode and put it on the uh, the PTO tube. But there is not a voltage regulator in. Did, did Collins just it, run out of space inside there? I, I I don't know, but there's not. I mean, you you say okay, where's the you know you're looking for the OA tube, but you look at the Swans, you look at the the Drake has got them. I know, I know that. Yeah. I've got OA twos. The Halicrafter's got them in yeah. there too. Yeah. So is the Heathkit HW one hundred and one. I think. Yeah. yeah. Hey, this this was all sparked by I think you found this collection of articles by W six BLZ Ed Mariner. Wow, he wrote this. He it was he was writing for years for this kind of West Coast ham radio newsletter that I had never heard of. Had you heard about this thing before? No, but I saw him. He used to do Q, CQ, a lot of uh-huh. articles in CQ. Wow, but he he found this old newsletter, and Pete found kind of a a kind Compendium. of a, a, a anthology of 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 W six BLZ articles, and he was like a, a master home brewer. He was really good. And he, he did a great job, especially in the early days of SSB, and and really kind of kind of uh, kind of trumpeting the, uh, the 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 SSB movement. So really great. Pete has those articles. That's where we found out about uh, Grayson's radioactive OA2s. I'm not going to mention what he's doing with the OA2s. I think we should leave that to him. Don't you think so, Pete? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Uh, got an email from our, our good friend Rogier. KJ6ETL, uh, and also his original call, Papa Alpha 1 Zulu Zulu, uh, really sad. He, he lost his dog, and the dog was very, very important to him. And, you know, I, I, I really feel for him because it happened almost the same week that we lost our Capucho. You know, oh, I, I, you're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, Capucho's gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he's, both he's, Tyson and Capucho. Huh? I know, I know. The two of them have been a part of the the, the podcast. You know, uh, Tyson the cat was with us for fourteen years, and Capucho was with us for ten. You know, we've been doing the podcast for fifteen years now, and uh, so this was a this was a these were two bad bad losses. My wife takes this stuff very hard. Capucho was her dog, and uh, and she just really had been been devastated by the by the loss i know i mean i know people have much greater worse problems than a lost dog but it, it hurts it's like a family member yeah, i know i know yeah. it's terrible anyway uh, roger roger hang in there buddy and roger is working on antennas to take his mind off it he's got a nice delta loop up there in california looking good there with the antenna roger um, Steve Silverman, KB3SII, sent me this picture of this beautiful, nice old variable capacitor from the Chelsea Radio Company. That's Chelsea, Massachusetts. Wow. Chelsea Radio Company. Holy cow. I, I feel called to this thing. Maybe Santa will send me this this cap. We'll see. Dave, K8WPE, uh, a frequent correspondent, a longtime loyal listener. Always great to hear from Dave. I had mentioned that we were... We never went beyond really, I mean, for a while we were doing more frequent podcasts, but we kind of settled into once a month because it's kind of a good tempo for us. And and also I said, if we start doing it more frequently, we run the danger of becoming a cult, you know, and then we, we, don't, we don't really want that. It's like Heaven's Gate or something like that. Next thing you know, you and I both have kind of messianic powers over people. No, it's just not good. But but Dave rejected and he, he insists that we already have a cult following. Did you realize that? It probably has to no. do with your beret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People all over the country are going to be wearing berets. And they're going to, they, when, they're, when, they, when they do something heinous, they're going to say, well, Giuliano made me do it. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm following the dictates of Comrade Giuliano. There you go. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Dan, W4ERF, sent us an interesting article. It's a bit over my head about using parallel amplifier circuits to improve the signal-to-noise ratio in receivers. I'll have to look in that a little bit more, but thanks for sending that along, uh, Dan. Then uh, our old friend, uh, Jim, W8NSA, sent me an email. Great to hear from you, from Jim. Jim has sent in so many care packages over the years. So many of my rigs have parts from, from Jim in there alongside parts from you. The attenuator. Didn't he send you the no, attenuator? He sent me so many things. Somebody else sent me the attenuator, mm. I think. But, um, but, but really, it was great to hear from Jim again. And uh, he's had going through, you know, it, it's, it's a tough winter. It's a tough thing with the pandemic. But uh, hang in there, buddy. Uh, we got emails from Pete Eaton, who we hear from quite a bit, WB9FLW, sending us emails about the collapse of the Arecibo telescope. What a horrible thing that is. Holy cow, those videos are just painful to watch. And that thing just collapsed. I put a post up on the blog if you want to take a look. But I'll tell you what, it's not it's not pleasant. But thanks for, for letting us know about that, Pete. Then I got an email from John. W, his old call was WB4GTW. I talked to him for a long time uh, and from, from different locations overseas, mostly from the Dominican Republic, I think. And it turns out that he's a friend of somebody else we talked to recently, Taylor, N4TD. Taylor, I was on the air and I was talking to somebody near the end of the queue. So somebody gave me a call. I called him back and he just very, very casually in a nonchalant manner said, oh, Bill, I heard that you're running a homebrew rig. A rig here is homebrew also. Whoa, man. Woo, doesn't happen every day. Rare occurrence, HB to HB, all right? So I, I asked Taylor to send me pictures of his rig. I have them up on the blog, and they're there. And, uh, and it was great to run into him. And it turns out he's a friend of John, WB4GTW. That almost concludes the, the mailbag, Pete. But we have, I guess we have to address some of the other mail that we've received, okay? Yes. Look, we got a lot of mail about the editorial that we did in the last podcast. And no real surprises. Half of it was very supportive. Half of it was very opposed. Look, I would just say this. Obviously, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And we're entitled to ours. And we're free to express our opinion. It's a free country, and we want it to stay that way. That's one of the reasons we spoke out. Yesterday, the Electoral College voted, finalizing the results of the election. And I think, really, all Americans should be proud that the U.S. was able to carry out a free and fair election with record turnout under difficult circumstances, the pandemic. I also think that all loyal Americans should accept the results. I mean, that's the way it works in a democracy. You win some, you lose some but you accept the results. We're glad we said what we said. It would have been far easier and more pleasant for us to just bury our heads in the sand, stick to ham radio, and say nothing. But this was a critically important national election, and we both felt obligated as Americans to speak out. We'd do it again. Yes. And in fact, we reserve the right to do it again if a similarly important issue arises. That's all I want to say about that at this point. But Amen. Uh, here we are. All right. Onward. <laughs> so, so are you hunkered down twice for the nor'easter in addition to COVID? You guys going to get the foot of snow or two feet of snow? I don't think we're going to get that much. It's sunny and about 45 degrees outside right now. It's nice. So we're going to 
to get some chores done before the snow hits, but uh, it is coming. I think it's going to hit Boston a lot harder, Philadelphia a lot harder. Oh, it's Bill. Gonna, it's going to yeah, go north. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's up there. Pete, we are way in overtime, my friend. You bet. We're at one hour, 15 minutes. Well, before we end, I want to wish you a very best of the holiday season. We've got about 10, 12 days before Christmas, uh, those who celebrate Christmas. And, of course, the New Year is 16 days away. So uh, it's been an interesting year in 2020. But I think <laughs> the, the watchword is, you're, you, as you always say, sits. I mean, we've got the vaccine coming, but, but there's a period of time before we'll all be getting it in our arms, and you can't let your guard down. No. I mean, they're expecting... A surge on a surge, still still facing us until all of us get vaccinated, and we have a greater part of the U.S. that's that's got the vaccine. So can't let your guard down. I that's mean, it. Christmas is coming, and there's this temptation to get together with family and friends. Don't, because you can do it next year. That's it. Yeah, do it next year, and don't just don't put yourself through all the suffering that comes with, and the uncertainty that comes with with getting this thing. You just don't want to do it. So I agree 100. percent Yeah, and and uh, everybody, take care. Stay in the shack. That's the way to do it. Sits. Sits. Yep. You bet. Pete, thanks Se- very much. Seven threes from the West Coast. Seven three from Northern Virginia. You bet. See Ciao. Bye bye. Bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!